0: All right. First thing I want to do is receive an offering. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Man, there's so many great things to celebrate of what God's doing here. And uh, I'm believing that the next few minutes is going to just tack on to that. I'm expectant tonight, as I am every time I speak, aren't you? Anytime you open the Word of God, it's an incredible privilege. Uh, I'm grateful, and I pray, Lord, would you anoint me as your Word is anointed? Um, hide me in you is one of my prayers. And so I want to ask just the Lord's presence is already here. So we're not inviting you, Lord, but we pray that you would speak, um, to and through us. Lord, in front of me are warriors and generals in the kingdom, men and women in various communities, seasons, all with this desire to propel the gospel, to make disciples, and so, God, we pray tonight as we, as we open your word that you would prepare our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to receive from you. And Lord, help us um, more than in a moment to be um, inspired or encouraged or challenged, but Lord, would you transform us? Would you continue that work that you've started in us? For your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, tonight I want to talk about something um, that none of us like delays. How many of you love lines? Let me just see your hands. You just can't wait to pop into a good line. And uh, whether it's the grocery store, it's traffic, um, maybe for you, your favorite line um, is at a buffet. And uh, I was recently with um, your pastor at uh, Pizza Ranch. Pizza, I have a list, thanks for judging me. Um, Pizza Ranch. Um, you saw three pictures of it yesterday, right? Um, and uh, the pizza I wanted, someone, someone got. It was a moment, a heart moment for me. <laughs> had to gather myself and just say there's seven other options, right? Now, that's obviously silly. Some of the delays are silly, right? Some of them are, they just did, they did surprise us and we're like, why am I bothered by this? Or why does this matter to me? But some of the delays we face are really significant. And... Actually, when Derek was uh, in our youth ministry, I wrote a series called Delayed Destiny, and I've since written a book. In fact, today is the official day. It's released. What's funny about it is it was delayed. (laughs) There was a paper shortage globally, so I told my wife, I said, it's going to come out today, right? Um, But I wrote the series, wrestling with the question. What do you do when your life goes into a holding pattern? And I'm going to talk to us tonight about how we navigate the pauses, the delays, how, how it feels like a setback, but it's a setup, that when you feel like you're being buried, you're really being planted, because God's not done in writing your story. I realized that in a room this big with this many people, specifically pastors and leaders, um, we wrestle sometimes because sometimes how we feel doesn't feel very pastoral. Like, I don't know, why do I feel this? I'm supposed to be farther along than this. I'm supposed to be the one with courage and confidence and clarity and all of these other C words that are awesome. And yet sometimes we find ourselves in this place of paralysis. I think if we're not careful we continue to take this lie. In fact, I'll say it this way. I think somewhere along the way, we picked up, tried on, and begin to wear the idea that everything we hoped for and prayed for and expected would happen fast. And then when it doesn't, we wonder. And sometimes when we wonder, we wander. And unfortunately, we find ourselves saying, how'd I get here? Because I love you, Lord, but I'm not exactly where I want to be. I'm not experiencing what I want to experience And we're going to look at tonight a story of a guy by the name of Joseph. You've all taught it. You'll teach it again. But I think there's some things the Holy Spirit's going to help us to to grab from it. Here's what I wrote in my notes. If you're surprised that you're not where you thought you'd be in life or even love or leadership or your relationship with Jesus, you're not alone. I'll say it this way also. Slow motion is still motion. And it might seem like nothing's happening as fast as you want. But God is still working. He's still working. He's still good. He's still God. So we we look at the story of uh, Noah. A little bit of a rain delay, right? How about Abraham and Sarah? A little bit of a pause in their promise. And then you look at Joseph. 17-year-old has a, a dream that God gives him to mature uh, for his brothers, in his own mind, he's mom and dad's favorite, right? But he's also too mature for mentors, and so when he approaches people who could speak truth into him, it sounds like a lie, and he kind of rejects it. And, and I, I realize that as we look at the story of Joseph, there's parts where you go, I relate to that. And there's other parts where you're like, <laughs> I've never had a shiny coat. And so you're like, there's a disconnect for you. Just playing, of course. But here's what I do know that there is a incremental slow motion process that God takes him through that he doesn't see, but God's still doing. So between 1981 and 2011, the space agency NASA had 135 missions aboard five space shuttles. So in order for the space shuttle to get from its holding um, pin to the launch pad, it had to be transported on something. And the space shuttle, fully weighed down with the solid rocket boosters, with its fuel, and with its exterior tanks, weighed 6 million pounds. So what was designed was what's called a crawler transporter. You see a picture of it slowly making its way to the launch pad. The crawler transporter, in its design, in that, in that time, was the largest man-made item in the history of the world. And it had to be to get the shuttle where it had to go now the space shuttle in order to leave earth's atmosphere has to go 18,000 miles an hour in eight and a half minutes that is really fast <laughs> you know how fast the space shuttle gets from its holding pen to the launch pad i'll tell you one mile an hour uh, uh, once it breaks into earth out of earth's atmosphere rather it has the capacity to go 23.6 times the speed of sound so something that can go 26, 23.6 times the speed of sound gets to its launch pad at one mile an hour. Here's in what I put on my notes. We understand intuitively one trip makes the other trip possible. And we don't want to go slow, but sometimes the best thing is slow. And Before the shuttle can see the stars, like us, it has to slowly make its way down the street. Often in order to go fast, pastors we first have to go slow and we've got to become content with quiet we've got to find peace in the pace that God has set for us I realize this doesn't seem like it's true in fact the opposite would be true but a delay does not indicate disinterest on God's part The delay, whatever the, think about right now, the delay that you're dealing with, that you're navigating. Maybe you've just come out of a delay or maybe you can see one on the horizon. A delay does not indicate disinterest on God's part. And we think, man, I I forfeited his favor. I must've done something different because when I look at other people's lives and their story and their church and their progression and their trajectory, it just seems different than mine. And I'll tell you something, you can never run someone else's race. What happens is when we look at someone else, we wrestle with one of two extremes, as you know, pride or insecurity. And pride is gross, and insecurity always invites me to be someone I'm not. Insecurity never tells the truth. It always tells a lie. Joseph, one of 12 brothers, mom and dad's favorite, to the point, like, how many of you in here have have uh, more than one child. Let me see your hand. Throw your hand up. Okay, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to help me. On the count of three, I want you to shout out the name of your favorite child. Okay. One, two, none of us would do that ever, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Joseph, Joseph was the favorite. It was obvious by a mile. Fancy coat. Mom and dad like him better. He's not even working. His brothers are working. He goes out. They see him coming. This is, begins in Genesis 37. Doesn't wrap up for 13 chapters. But it's actually 93 years. Which should have been our indication that all of the, the story of Joseph in his life is going to unfold incrementally. What we do get is a front row seat to the providence of God which is in a nutshell, Joseph's story. His brothers see him coming, and what did they say? Man, I love that guy, look at that coat. No, they just conspire amongst themselves to kill him. How many of you had a difficult Thanksgiving meal? Wasn't that bad. No one wanted to kill you, right? It's all relative. So now Joseph's coming up to them, they beat him, they throw him into a cistern, and then they have, a, have lunch. <laughs> and I'm like, man, people think the Bible's boring. You're boring. The Bible's awesome, okay? So they throw a rope. I just imagine this, it's, you know, it's, it's not out of context, but he's in the cistern, it's empty, you know, there's no water in it. They throw a rope down in. He's kind of a whiny 17-year-old. And they throw the rope down into And I just imagine him as he's crawling out. <laughs> I'm telling mom and dad when I get home. But he never goes home. He's immediately sold to Ishmaelite caravan on its way to Egypt. Talk about a course correction that you never would have anticipated or hoped for. He's now a foreigner in another land away from the very people who are supposed to be close to him. He has what you have, a delayed destiny. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 39, verse one. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, so he's a, he's a military leader for Pharaoh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. I, already, I know you're pastors, but I think we read the Bible too fast sometimes. Because just in that one verse, you know what I'm reminded? He's not where he wants to be, not with who he wants to be with, and he's not doing what he wants to do. Boy, can you relate to any of those three at times? And then we get to verse 2. And for the first time ever, we hear some good news. And it says this, the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. Just pause for a second. Does it seem like the Lord is with Joseph? Does it seem like God is for him? It seems like God's resting or taking a nap, which we know he doesn't. But it seems like he's disinterested. So, so have you had a moment over the last three years where you've wondered... God, are you still there and do you care? We know he doesn't forget about us, but something in us might wonder, like, why? And when we, we wonder, sometimes we wander. And God wants us to come back to him. Dependence, confidence, and peace. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, then we fast forward to verse three, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in what? Everything he did. Midas touch, Jesus, Joseph rather. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. So it seems like things are looking up, right? Beaten by his brothers, sold into slavery. Imagine the journey from, you know, Canaan to now into Egypt. And he's wandering, he's trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. And and then all of a sudden he gets tabbed to be the attendant to Pharaoh. Okay, I have access to the person who's in charge of this joint. This is good news. He is elevated. The Lord was with him. And Potiphar put him in charge, you already read probably, of everything he owned. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, Joseph, like Mark Dean, was well-built and handsome. and that, Oh, I have a different translation here. Okay. Uh, was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. This word doesn't apply. Come to bed with me. <laughs> but he refused. He would say this, but this word, anyways. So with me in charge, listen, can, let me just, if I, wish, I wish I was sitting across the table with you right now having a cup of coffee because here's what I would say to you. Listen, what do you remind yourself of, truth or lies? Because here's what Joseph, he's reminding himself. He's doing self-talk. It may not be puppet hands, but he's speaking to his own heart and he's speaking to his mind. He's speaking the truth of God over himself. He says, um, no, with me in charge, come to bed with me. Nah, with me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything. In this entire house, everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. In fact, no one is greater in this house than I am. He's, re- he's reminding himself, he's speaking truth. Listen, if you have a delay, which we all do in our destiny, you got to make sure you're speaking truth over yourself. You got to make sure that the, that the lies of the enemy are not the loudest voice in your ear. And we got to learn how to mute those and elevate the word of God and the truth of God. No one's greater in this house except, except other than me, he says. My master's withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? I love his response here. Notice he goes to the reservoir of his character. Okay, that's step steps. The steps Imagine if, if you were sold into slavery and you think your life's over. And then this woman's making a pass at you. Or ladies, a, a man's making a pass you, may, you. might think this is my only shot for love and affection. It might even elevate me in the, in, in the kingdom, in the household. But Joseph in this moment does what I call, he, he, he refuses the secret sin. And the problem with secret sin, it's a seduction of secret sin. Because it's secret. And no one else will know. But God will. He says, No, my master does not concern himself with anything. And so I can't sin against God. What a powerful response. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused two things to go to bed with her, and he put some parameters and some safeguards in his life, or even be with her. Now, we know some things about Mrs. Potiphar from reading the story. She's not used to rejection. She's not used to having people say no to her. And so for her now, it's a game, and it's cat and mouse, and she's going to get her, her prize. So one day, she, she's in the palace, he's in the palace, all the other attendants are in the palace, and she sends everyone away except for Joseph. And she tries once more to seduce him. Don't think for a second when you pass the test once, it'll never come back. We've got to keep going back. to I'm going to make deposits into my character so I can make withdrawals when I need it. And here is Joseph in this moment, once more, faced with the scenario, and she tries to seduce him. This is where he has another wardrobe malfunction. Remember his coat that got taken off and, and beat and plunged in animal blood? He now spins out of his coat, the scripture says. She's holding it, right? And if I'm him, I'm tracksuit. That's it from this point forward. No more robes, right? <laughs> and she's like, this, this, this foreigner came to make sport of me. And she's like, alas, right? And uh, that's the King James Version. And and the guards come in, and he's arrested. He's falsely accused, thrown into prison. And the Lord's with him? Don't you love the tension of the story? You know what it feels like a lot of our lives? A lot of great days and some tough things. A lot of, oh, favor of God. But how come this happened? And throughout all of it, what we see is the goodness of God. We get a front row seat to the providence of God. Listen, I don't care how big your church is or how small your church is, the attendance of your kids or youth ministry, how much you gave to that missions wall over there that we just celebrated. God's working in your life. He's working through your life. He's using you to bring hope to community. He's using you as a mouthpiece. To declare the goodness and the promises of God. I I wrote this. Your delay, and I believe this, has the potential to position you. See, for Joseph in this moment, he would have never chosen prison. Ever. And yet here he is. And it says while he's in prison, he attended to two guys who had also been thrown in prison. The cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer, we know his job. Test the food before the king has it. Test the drink before the king drinks it and I'm going to be just fine as long, as long as no one's trying to poison the king, okay? Then it's a tough job. Like, hey, how are those brownies? They're, oh, right? So it's, it's a great job unless someone's trying to take out the king. So Cupbearer's there in prison. He had ticked off Pharaoh, and so is the baker. And Joseph attends to them. Why would he do that? Because God's guiding him. Because the hand of God is on him. Because a delay has the potential to position you. Joseph, for the first time ever in his time in Egypt, has proximity now to people who had proximity to Pharaoh. You see what God's doing? He is setting some things up. Now, in prison, just like him, he had a dream at 17. They have dreams, they can't interpret it. And God enables and allows Joseph to interpret it. You know the story. And he says, I have um, good news for both of you, and then one of you is kind of bad news after the good news. You're both getting out, <laughs> uh, but one of you is going to be killed. He didn't say it that way, but so the Bible's funny, right? So, not, anyways, so you tracking with me? Really good news, but one of them is bad. The baker's killed, the cupbearer's restored. What's interesting is at this point now, he has one simple two word request. Remember me. So let me ask this. Minnesota pastors, you ever felt forgotten? Overlooked? You ever felt like um, no one notices? Joseph felt that way. And I imagine this. It doesn't say it, but the text text speaks to it, that he's anticipating their response. Their, their return. So he's, the direct quote is this. He says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. So I imagine now, um, the first day after these guys get released, he's waiting at the door or the, or the bars for the soldier to walk down the corridor to say, hey, uh, Joseph, is there a Joseph? You're coming out. Nothing happens. Then it's two days and it's two weeks and now it's two months. And at what point does he give up hope? Never. Because what's happening is he's, he's refusing the right to become resentful. That's what's happening in this period. God's forming and stirring his character so that he can respond to his brothers chapters later. It seemed like everything at that point that was going well is now shot. And here's what I want you to hear. With God, nothing is ever wasted, even our waiting. I don't know if that's your story right now, or you can see it from where you're at, but nothing with God is ever wasted. What is Joseph again? It's a front row seat to the providence of God, that God is working even when we cannot see it. Let me ask this question. What are the predictable places and people and things that have the potential to hinder your development? Because I think some of the things in our life that, that we're like, they're patterns. We're used to them. Like, I can anticipate that. When I'm with them, I, 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 I wrestle with frustration. Or, when I'm with them, I, who, are, who are the people and the places and the, the um, things that are predictable in your life that can hinder your development? And some of the development that's most valuable is developing a dependency on God. I know this at times for me dependency can feel like weakness but it's really wisdom because it's when we're tethered to God what do we see in John 15 he says I'm the vine you're the branches apart from me you can do nothing but what does he say with me with me just watch what happens to you in your delay directly connects to what happens through you afterward and I don't know about you, but sometimes in the midst of my delay, I'm just like, yeah, this is not how I wrote it up, Lord. This is not, in fact, I don't even, hello, hello, hello. Because I'm not praying any of this that's happening right now. Anyone ever been there? I was hoping for this. I was expecting this. I, I, God, if you're good, how come? If you're there, why doesn't the field? And we can wrestle. And I think as pastors, sometimes we have to say, it's okay to say, I don't know, but I still trust God. It's okay for pastors sometimes to say, listen, I'm confused too. And I think if your people hear from you and me, uh, what I would call appropriate vulnerability, it'll actually give you greater access to pastor and love them. Because they already know we're real and human and vulnerable. When it seems like everything's done, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Genesis 41.1. And here's what it says. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. It's a dream at 17 that gets him in this. It's a dream with a cupbearer and the baker that sets in motion his get-out-of-jail-free moment. And now, imagine if you're the cupbearer and you're like, Pharaoh's, you know, he's having a tough time because he had a dream, he can't interpret it. We know it was this tumultuous dream of seven years of plenty, seven years of, of, of famine ultimately, right? He doesn't know. We know the backside of the story because we read it. And you're the cupbearer, and you're serving Pharaoh, and you're like, how do I bring this up? So it's not really about me, but you remember when you were so mad at me, you threw me in prison, and <laughs> it's not about that. But when I was there, I met a guy that I think might be able to help you. So how do you bring that up? So you got the courage, and they call for Joseph. And for the first time now, the footsteps along the corridor of the guards are to get him out. And they clean him up. The Bible says they shave him, and they bring him to the king. And he says to the Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dream, but the God I serve can. Come on, you want to talk about providence? How did he get access to Pharaoh? Got thrown in prison. The setback became a setup, but I would never choose the setback. But God's like, okay, going to have to do a different way to get the setup. There's ways God works that are beyond us. What, What does Isaiah say? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And His ways are not our ways. Many of life's most valuable lessons are mine from the most difficult moments. Come on, how many of you in here are parents? You know this, if you have kids. In fact, uh, when Josiah, our 6'4", youngest son, was a little boy, he's in elementary school, he's in, our, he's in his bedroom, our room's across the hall, and he, he says, Um, mom. Very persistent. Third time, mom. And he realizes, okay, mom's not here. Dad. Okay. I'm like, I get it. Mom's our favorite. Okay. So I go in, I literally I sit at the foot of his bed and I say, man, what's going on, bud? And he says this at the elementary school kid. He says, my legs are killing me. And immediately you as parents know and know what he didn't. He's having growth pains. So here's the question. Do I want to grow Am I willing to endure the pain? He didn't want to stay at four, whatever. He didn't want to stop at five. He went past six, but all of it required some growth pains. Slow motion is still motion, and not just for the people around you. It's for your life, it's for your development, it's for your maturity, it's for the development of your church, it's for the future of the kingdom. My wife and I love Hawaii and uh, our vision, our dream, Pastor Nate knows this, is to go to Hawaii every year for three weeks. And right now we're on a pattern to go to Hawaii (laughs) for a week every three years. (laughs) And we'd love to have those switch at some point, but not complaining. A lot of people never get to Hawaii. My wife is from there. Uh, and when we go to Hawaii, it's restful, it's encouraged, it's just, so think about wherever your vacation spot is, and if it includes a plane, imagine you, you get on the plane, and, and you're about to get to your, your destination, whatever it is, it's your preferred destination, you're going to see family, or it's sunshine, or hunting, or whatever, and the, the pilot comes on the intercom, uh, this is your captain speaking, and it's never good, they're not like, hey, prepare yourself, whenever the captain comes on, it's never like super good news, you ever, you ever have your ears almost blown out by the captain not filtering their voice and it comes through the inner, you're like, yes, Lord, right? It's, not the, it's, it's the captain, right? But what happens often is as you're approaching your destination, the tower knows what the pilot and the passengers don't and that they, it, it's not safe to land yet. Uh, this is your captain speaking. We've been instructed by the tower to go into a holding pattern. And collectively across the plane, everyone's like, woo! No, they're not. They're like, ah. Oh. I mean, traveling, if you have kids, you're like, you don't even want them anymore, right? When you're traveling, you're like, anyone, you could have them. They're mostly cute when they're sleeping, right? And you're just like, you just want to get there. None of us like holding patterns. You don't like it when we travel. We don't like it when we're dreaming. We don't like it when we're making disciples. You know, when we were planting and leading New Hope, um, my favorite thing outside of church was to mow my lawn. You know why? Immediate results. I would get Joanna and, sweetheart, come out here. Look at this. You see these lines? Oh, oh this edging. It's just, and my wife, you are like, I'm just gonna come out, look at the lines again. I, dead serious. During COVID, I got to the point where people would call and say, hey, um, pastor, do you want to, I'd like to take you to coffee or you want to go to a meal together? And I would like, I just got to know, is it good news or bad news? Because I don't have the emotional energy to get bad news partway through. There's a restaurant I used to like. We got there. We hadn't even ordered our main meal. We're eating chips and salsa, which are, were torn from my life in this moment. Because then the person tells me before we order, hey, Pastor, I just want to let you know. And it's what all of us have heard. I'm, I'm out of here. And I was grateful that they told me, like, bro, we could have just done this over text. Just kidding. <laughs> it needs to be face to face. I'm just playing. How many know leading is difficult? And we've been leading in especially difficult times. I say this all the time to church planters. You're doing a hard thing in a harder than normal season. And I say this to every pastor in the room. You're leading and serving and doing a hard thing in a harder than normal time. But slow motion is still motion. And when the pilot comes over the intercom, there's some things about the holding pattern we're in, the delay that we're in the midst of, that we don't get, but they do. Here's a couple simple takeaways. Number one, it's not safe to land yet. You don't know that as a, as a passenger, but the pilot knows. There's enough fuel in your, in your jet and your plane to stay aloft. Come on, how many things? I, I just can't keep going. And then you actually keep going. And you're like, I didn't think I, uh. God, there's just that little bit left in the tank. If you rush your landing, it's going to hurt you and others. But God, I just want to do... Will you just be still and know that he's God? And finally, preparations need to be made so that you and others around you arrive safely. There's some promises from the, the pilot that I want to walk through real quickly in scripture. Hebrews, we read this. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Boy, that's a fact. How many are like, loved spanking? That was, that was a great. None of us. If you like spanking, you should probably talk to somebody. But as a kid, none of us, none of us wanted to get disciplined, right? No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. What does it say? But later on, it produces a harvest in us. What? Of righteousness and how many of you could use a, some peace yes. for those who have been trained by it. What about Jesus' words in John 16? What does he tell? He's speaking to his people. He says this. I've told you these things. What things? He's talking about what they're going to navigate, what they've already had to to walk through, so that in me, notice who peace is in. In me, he says. You might have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. I'm sometimes bothered that I'm bothered by things going sideways in my life. You know what I'm talking about? I'm bothered. I'm like, I, I, why am I even, I, Jesus said, I'm going to have trouble. There's going to be heartache and sidetrack and delays. And, and I, I want to get better at saying, God, in the delay, I, I remember the destiny. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he says, also take heart for I've overcome the world. Last, last promise from the pilot. There's about 50 I could give you. And they're all, all written down here, but. Don't you love the promises of God that aren't just for other people, but they're for you? And Paul writes to the church in Galatia, he says, don't become weary in doing good. Pastor Mark referenced it today, earlier today. Don't become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, what does it say? You'll reap a harvest. What is our part in all this, pastors, if you do not give up? If you and I lack depth and determination... We will quit something that's difficult at the first explainable opportunity. And someone that's close to you might go, I get it, you should quit. That's real, man, things are difficult. But this is where depth and determination create resolve in us and stick. Some of you have been in your city for 30 years, and, and there's just a depth and determination in you, and we thank you for modeling that for us. So, how do we develop it if we're younger or we're new to a community? couple closing thoughts. Number one, choose the mission over the feelings. Man, my feelings are a liar. Not always. Feelings are a natural part of who we are, but they are not a foundation for decision-making. Well, I felt like, okay, great. But what is the truth? What is the truth? And we get that in God's word. What's the second one here? You and I have to make decisions before we have to. What does it mean? If you wait to the heat of the moment to do the right thing, I don't always do it. Neither do you, as spiritual as you are. So we just I'm going to make some decisions. This is who I'm going to be. This is how, how I'm going to operate. If a situation comes up, I don't know what to do. I'm going to reach out to a mentor. I'm going to talk to a friend. I'm going to call every pastor needs a pastor. I'm going to make some decisions before I have to. Why? So in the moment I go, man, I've thought through some of this, and I know here's what God's already spoken over my life. Number three, you've already read it, stay plugged in. By the way, thank you for being here. Just showing up makes such a difference. Can we be at everything? No, you probably shouldn't. But we've got to be intentional to stay plugged in because when we peel off, we get picked off. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Number four, give yourself what you give others, pastors, the freedom to change. You are not stuck in who you are, even though it might sometimes feel like it. Your your church is not stuck. It's not the last part of the story. I love people who do hard things. And I'll finish with this. Florence Chadwick, July 4th, 1952. She's attempting to do what no other woman has ever done before. And uh, she'd already swam the Strait of Gibraltar, She'd already swam the channel from England to the mainland of Europe. She is, she is a boss, okay? And so this particular day, July 4th, 1952, she is starting out from the mainland of California, and she's going to swim the 26 miles from mainland of California to Catalina Island. When I, when I read that and heard 26 miles, it made me think of running. How many runners do we have in here? Use your hands. Ah, oh, God bless you. I want to be a runner. I've said this before, I've bought the short shorts, they're Daniel Dukes, like Daisy Dukes, but the male version, okay? I have bought those, I've got running magazine, I've got running shoes, and then I go like two blocks and I'm like, I hate this. My favorite part of running is when I stop. Can I get a witness on that? Okay. I know you're looking at me and you think, you look like you're built like a runner. I know, it's shocking, just kidding, I'm not. My wife's a runner. She ran a a marathon in Vancouver, Canada. And there, you know about this because we're up north. They have Tim Horton donut shops. So Mark, I made a commitment for every mile she runs, I'll eat a donut. (laughs) So I tapped out at five. She ran the whole thing. Back to Florence Chadwick. She left with confidence. She's an accomplished swimmer. She'd done hard things. She had trained herself. And after being in the water for 15 hours... A fog descends. And I'm quoting her. She says this. She said, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I want to talk to every pastor in the room that is dealing with fog. You didn't see it coming, and it's here. You, you might have floated into it. Maybe someone close to you brought a fog into your life. But le- leading through fog can feel like you're leading blind. And it can drain you, it can, it can suck life out of you, it can hijack vision and clarity and discipline, and that sweet spirit that has to mark us. For Florence Chadwick, what she didn't know because of the fog was that she was less than half a mile from accomplishing her objective. Do you hear me? Less than half a mile from the shore that would have given her the world record at that time. Now, anytime there's a competition like this where they're, 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 um, an official is, is watching and uh, assessing her endeavor, there's the rules, you can't have any uh, outside floats so you can't have a buoy, you can't have someone throw you a piece of wood, and you can't touch the guide boat. And everything in her is saying, I've been in the water 15 hours, I don't think I can keep going, I don't know where, I'm, I'm, I'm turned around, I don't even know where the shore is now, because my, my view has been obscured by the fog. And she touches the boat, and in that moment, the negates all of the effort that she had already expended. Pastors, I came here tonight to tell you don't touch the boat. I don't know what shore you're heading to, but you're too close to it to give up right now. You have a destiny. Sure, it's delayed. Get in line. That makes you normal. It does. All of us have delays. All of us have setbacks and detours and discouragement, all these things that can hijack. But there's a call on your life. There's a destiny God has spoken over you. And I wanna, I wanna call it back out. And those of you in a great season, hold on to this because you won't always be there. I wanna remind you of the truth that God spoke over you. Some of you, since you were a little girl, God spoke this promise of how he's gonna use you and he's doing it, but you're in a fog. Some of you, it's a second career, and you did all of the business or whatever, and now you're saying, You said yes to God, and you stepped into ministry, and you're like, I was so successful there. Why is things so difficult here? And you're in a fog, and there's a delay, but I'm reminding you, you have a destiny. And it's in Christ that we find the fulfillment, it's in Christ that we find the strength. And it's in the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we get the resolve not to touch the boat. And it's that voice that says, keep going. How does Joseph's story resolve? Genesis 50 verse 20, we read this. After he'd reconciled with his brothers and his dad and he provided for them and God miraculously, seven years of plenty, they were prepped for seven years of of famine. We read this. Joseph is responding, he says, you intended to harm me, but God, come on, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many lives. And what did we sign up for to start to be a part of watching lives transformed? Part of your destiny is to help other people find hope in Christ which is their destiny, even if they don't know it yet. In a moment, we're gonna respond, whether in our chair, having someone, a brother, sister, pray with you. But I wrote something down, and I've shared this a couple times in preparation for this sermon. I wrote this down, I felt like God spoke this to me. And here's, here's what he said, and I don't mean like out loud. But in my spirit, I felt like he said, your current chapter is not your final chapter. It's just the most recent. Here's the thing. In a fog, it just feels like there's nothing else. I don't know where to go. Your current chapter is not your final chapter. It's just the most recent. And the delay still has a destiny. Invite God to put a period, turn the page, and write the next chapter. Is that for all of us? Maybe not tonight, but at some point. I'll invite us across this room to bow our heads.